Welcome to the Victory Orlando podcast. We exist to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and to connect them with their purpose. To learn more about us, visit us at victoryorlando.com. Thanks for listening. We pray that you are encouraged and inspired by today's message. Well, have y'all been enjoying this series, The Story of David? Oh, I've been enjoying it too. I hope you've been reading from the scriptures, David's story. And I hope uh, if you've missed any of the weeks that you can catch up on our podcast, on our website. We post the videos every week. So I encourage you to uh, take advantage of those resources. And um, man, I'm excited about the message today. So let's pray as we get ready for the word today. Lord, I thank you for being here with us, God, that you're, you are Emmanuel. You're God with us. So thank you, God, that you would be here with us today in Orlando, God. I thank you that you would move today. God, I pray that as your word is spoken today, that it wouldn't just be uh, my words, it wouldn't be just words that are spoken, but that your very word that is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, would go out, Lord God, that it would speak to us today, God, that you would speak to our hearts, that we would hear you clearly speaking, that we would have ears to hear what your spirit is saying, we would have eyes to see what you're showing to us. So Lord, I thank you for it. Lord, I pray that your word would go deep inside of our hearts that it would take root and produce fruit because we are good ground. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. Well, we've been talking about David. We've been looking at his life. And when we started in week number one, David, we saw him. He was this teenage kid, somewhere about 10 to 15 years old. And here he is, and he's been anointed the next king of Israel. But it's not time for him to be the king yet. He's still a shepherd boy. He's still serving his father. He, he's everything but a king in this moment. And I love the fact that God uses a teenager, a kid, to say, hey, you're, you're the next leader. God wants to know, God wants you to know if you're in this next generation that he has great plans for you, that he's called you to be a king, that he's called you to be a leader. Man, I love that God is using the young to begin to lead. And I love the fact that God is using David to show us that if you want to be a leader, you have to be a servant. You can't be a leader unless you're a servant, actually. So David would grow up. He'd continue serving his dad. He would kill lions. He would kill bears. He would kill the giant. He would lead armies, become a commander in the army. Man, everything that David did was going right. Everything he touched was like prospering. It was working good. David had it going on until one day the king, who was now his father-in-law, began to hate on him a little bit, throwing some shade his way. In fact, he started throwing spears at him, wanted to kill him, tried to kill him over 21 times is craziness that dude had it out for him so here's david on the run he spends the next you know 10 years of his life hiding out in caves running through the wilderness trying to figure out why is this guy trying to kill me and should i be mean back to him he's learning in the cave to worship god in dark seasons he's like god where are you i'll worship you anyways i don't understand but god i'll worship you here he is learning all these things little did he know that this is how god wanted to make kings not that kings would just be all up and have everything they need but kings are made when there's crushing and pressing and what will come out of you in those moments God wants to put inside of us what David had and that's being men and women after his own heart so here's David in the cave hiding not even letting others speak badly against Saul not willing to take Saul out when he had the chance and finally the day came when Saul and his son Jonathan died in battle 
but not at the hand of David, because David had said, I won't touch the Lord's anointed. The Lord will take care of me. The Lord will vindicate me. And now it was time for David to be the king. It was David's time. David began to rule, and everything was good. All of his enemies, he defeated them. Everywhere he turned, everything was working right. It was good to be the king. David, finally King David. Come on. Until that one day, David didn't go where he was supposed to go. He was supposed to lead his troops into battle. Instead, he stayed on his house watching this other this woman who wasn't his wife bathing. Now, that's not a good place to be. <laughs> David messed it, messed up. He missed it. He committed adultery. And afterwards, he found out the lady was pregnant and she was married to one of his soldiers. And so to, to cover up his mistake, he had the guy killed and then took the lady as his wife. And man, David's really missing now. He's an adulterer and a murderer. And that's pretty bad stuff here. David missed it. He's trying to cover it up. And that's not the only place in David's life where he missed it, right? He missed it. His, his son died in that place. And later in his life, God gave him more time. God showed him grace and mercy because David was quick to repent. But even as he grew older, he missed it with his other sons. He had more sons than he missed it with them. We talked last week, the relationship between David and Absalom and how David missed it as a father in that moment. David had mistakes in his life. I'm thankful that God chose to put those mistakes in the Bible because it just helps me to know that when I make mistakes, that it's not the end of the chapter. It's not the end of my story. Anybody else who's ever made a mistake says, amen. That's right. It's good to know that heroes of the faith, people in the Bible made mistakes. It's good to know that when we make mistakes, what to do with them, how to take them, where to take them, because, man, that's the problem is that so many people don't know what to do when we make a mistake. Right? It's good to know and we can learn from people in the Bible who've slipped up and made a mistake. David, now we see him today. We're going to look at him at the end of his life. He's about 70 years old. He's about to pass on and he's about to face the final test of his life. And that's who is going to lead once he's gone. Who's going to be the next king? Who will it be? And David, in this moment, God showed him grace and mercy throughout his life. And he had another son, Solomon with his wife Bathsheba. Bathsheba, ironically, is the one that he had his most uh, embarrassing mess up with, the one that he committed adultery and murder for, this woman Bathsheba. That's who he had the son Solomon with. And isn't it just like God to take our biggest, most embarrassing failure, our darkest time, the worst moment of our life, and use that to redeem our future, to use that to bring hope to somebody else, Man, isn't it just like God to take something that the enemy meant to destroy us and crush us and turn for our good? Solomon would be the next king of Israel. And David is in this moment with his son Solomon where he's it's like he's about to pass on the baton. He's about to pass on and Solomon's about to be the king. And he's like, Solomon, I have some lessons for you. I have some wisdom I want to give to you. And the word of the Lord today for us is this, is living a legacy. Living a legacy. A legacy because our legacy doesn't start when we die, it starts today. How are we living? It's living a legacy. I would say that most parents, most leaders, most CEOs, they don't think about who's going to lead when they're not there anymore. What's going to happen to this thing when I'm gone? It's living a legacy. People talk about leaving a legacy. That's when we're, we're not here on this earth anymore, but we're talking about living a legacy because. We need to spend more of our time, more of our effort should be spent building other people up, 
That's what living a legacy is. Not waiting until I'm at the very end and then trying to pass on some final, but living in such a way that the people around me are being raised up so that when I'm gone, they can run. The people that are close to me know my heart because the true test of a leader is not what happens when they're there. The true test of a leader is what happens when they're gone. So in the meantime, who did we raise up? Who did we pass our legacy on to? Who did we impart our wisdom into? Who did we strengthen along the way? Because our life, you guys, is just it's here one moment. It's gone the second. James 4 says our life is a vapor. It just, it's going to be quick. It's going to be fast. David wrote about this, Psalms 90, verse 12. He said, Lord, teach me to number my days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He's just saying, Lord, help me to understand my life is short. My life is short. Help me, God, to live for eternity. I don't want my life to just be about everything here and that's it because everything on this earth one day will pass away. Nothing of this earth will remain. And in fact, none of our businesses, none of our bank accounts, none of our relationships, none of our trophies, none of our accomplishments, nothing that we do on this earth, we can't take any of it with us into eternity. We can't. But we can send things on ahead. We can send things on. Look what Jesus said, Matthew 6 i got to get to it. I jumped ahead of myself. He said, don't store up for yourself treasures here on earth where moths eat and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Jesus is saying, hey, all your stuff in this earth, like it comes and goes. It's easy. Money comes, money goes. Don't store up your treasures. This shouldn't be the only place that your most valuable things are. Instead, store up treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will be there also. So the question for us is, are we living a life of faith? Are we living a life where we're bringing other people along on the journey of faith and building them up so that they can lead forward? Or are we leaving a legacy of bitterness? Are we leaving a legacy of anger, of hatred? Are we leaving a legacy of stinginess? I can't pick up anybody's check. Never, never do anything that's beyond what I need. Or are we leaving a legacy of generosity? Just blessing people everywhere we go, buying people meals, giving of ourselves. Are we living a legacy that way? What are we doing? How will people remember us when we're gone? Will they remember our complaining? How we just always found the negative? Or they will, will they remember that we're people who had hearts of gratitude? Despite the situations, no matter what obstacles we face, we found a way to give thanks for everything that we had. If nothing else, we have breath in our lungs. Will they remember us as people who just, ah, oh, I just kind of occasionally come to church. I mean, you know, if I can make it there, that's good. God will be pleased with me. Or will they remember us as people like David, men and women after God's own heart? Whenever we can be close to God, man, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. Are they going to remember us as people of the word, that people that remembered what the Bible said, that spoke the word of God in the face of situations? Will they remember us as people of faith? How will we be remembered when we're gone? Living a legacy. See, no one on their deathbed wishes they were, had more Instagram followers. <laughs> you fast forward to that moment, if you're lucky enough to pinpoint the exact moment of when you're going to die and you're there, everything becomes crystal clear in that moment, right? Per, per, uh, perspective becomes crystal clear. Priorities are crystal clear, right? 
You don't wish for, you know, an extra 10 likes on that picture. You don't wish you had gotten, you know, the, the black granite instead of the white granite countertops, right? You don't wish you had gotten, you painted in a diff, the house a different, no, nothing of that. None of that matters. In that moment when you're about to die, two things matter. Am I right with God? Even people who never followed God want to know in that moment, like, what's about to happen? Where am I going to go? God, right? And then, and like, is my family close? Who have I imparted myself into, Right? Everything becomes clear in that moment. So how are we living? Are we living a legacy? Are we living a legacy? What will people say when we're gone? In 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 2, David is approaching the end of his life, and he has some last words for his son Solomon. He's trying to teach him this lesson. And he says, son, I'm about to go the way of the earth. In other words, he's saying, Solomon, I've done the research. <laughs> one out of one people are going to die. <laughs> everyone's going to die at some point, right? Death is coming for us all. If Jesus doesn't return, right? If we're not raptured, death is coming for us all. But I have good news for you. You're like, we're talking about death at church? Listen. It's <laughs> okay. Loosen up a little bit. Listen, we don't have to be afraid of death, right? When we follow Jesus, Scripture says Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. He's given us victory. We don't have to be afraid of death because we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So death has no power over us. It has no control over us. We don't have to be afraid of death. This is what David is telling his son. I'm I'm about to go there. You're going to go there too someday. But he's saying this. He says, be strong. Act like a man. And observe what the Lord your God requires from you. I love that David associates being a man, not to muscles, not to the right attitude, not to the right crew around you. But he, he likens being a man to obeying what the Lord says. Come on, all the men said amen. amen. He says, walk in obedience to him. Keep his decrees and his commands. Keep his laws. Keep the Lord's regulations as is written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you'll prosper in all that you do and wherever you go. David was teaching Solomon the key to prosperity, the key to a life of blessing, the key to a life of the favor of God being on you. And it's, it's this is don't seek God's hand, seek God's heart. Know God's ways. He's saying, know God's ways. Follow his commands. Don't just ask him for what you can do for me today, God. I'm going to put my coin in the slot machine and what am I going to get back from you today, God? No, 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 no. We need to seek to know God's heart, to know his ways, to know his character, to know what he thinks, what he likes, what he doesn't like. We need to know him that way. This is what David is saying so that he's trying to pass on to his son to have that heart after God. To be a man after God's own heart. It's no wonder that Solomon in the next chapter, 1 Kings chapter 3, that Solomon is in this moment, he's there worshiping the Lord and God comes to him and he says, Solomon, ask for me anything you want and I'll give it to you. Whatever you want. Ooh, that's a question right there, isn't it? I got some, you know, I got to, let me get my list out. I got some things, God, right? But it's no wonder that in that moment Solomon says, God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. I want to to know what you know, God. Give me your wisdom. It's no wonder that Solomon, he's listening to what his father said. I want to have a heart after yours. And then God said, Solomon, because you asked for that, I'm going to give you everything else. I'm going to give you victory over your enemies. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you the wisest person, the richest person that's ever lived in the history of the world from then all the way even to now, even into the future. No one has ever been more blessed, more wise than Solomon was. Man, there's something about knowing God. So how do we live a legacy? How do we do that? Right? How do we do that? I want to give us a few things today. If you're taking notes on your phone or on the back of the worship guide, I want you to write these couple things down today. Number one, we live a legacy by seeking to know God. 
Man, that should be number one on every list. Seek to know God. Because, y'all, without that, nothing else matters. Without knowing God personally for yourself, nothing else matters. You can go to heaven with a bad job, but you can't go to heaven without knowing him. You can go to heaven with a bad marriage, but not without knowing God. Right? That's number one. That's primary. You've got to know God for yourself. It's not knowing, it's not knowing information. It's knowing him personally, intimately. First Chronicles 29, 28, verse 9, David is telling this to Solomon. He says, Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. In other words, learn to be a man after God's own heart. Know him personally for yourself. Don't just know him surface level. It's like somebody asked me, like, hey, do you know Aaron Rodgers? Yes, I know him. He's the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. He wears number 12. He went to the University of California. He has a brother named Jordan. He, has, uh, he won the Super Bowl in 2010, was the Super Bowl MVP. I know lots of, I know Aaron Rodgers. I know lots about him, right? But it's just factual. It's just, like, I'm not, I can't pull out my phone and call him up and be like, yo, A-Rod, what's up? He'd be like, how did you get my number? Because <laughs> I don't know him, right? Right? We need to know God intimately. We don't just need to memorize scriptures and think that's just knowing God. There is knowing God in the scriptures, but it's just, it's not factual. It's got to go beyond the facts of it. It's got to go become a personal relationship where I talk with him, where I walk with him, where every day I'm having this relationship with him. It's knowing God personally. It's knowing God in a personal way. See, we're not in a sprint. We're in a relay race. Right? We're in a relay race. And it, what happens in a relay race, I was a track and field runner. I ran the 400 and the 800. And what happens in a relay race is you have a team of four people to, to complete the distance of the race. And so one person runs the first leg and you have a stick in your hand, a baton. And when you get to a given designated space, you have to pass the baton on to the next runner without slowing down and without going beyond the borders of the designated space. And if you do that, the next runner can continue on and run his leg of the race. And you need all four runners to be able to do that in order to win, in order to complete the race. If one runner drops the baton, if one runner doesn't do it within the specified space, you are disqualified. You can't run the race. It's important to know that we're in a relay race and not a sprint. We're not a bunch of solo artists out there. We are in this thing together. We need each other. We need to pass the baton on to the next runner. If that first runner was to just try to hold on to the baton, guess what? The whole team loses. We've got to pass the baton on to the next person. So what is the baton that we're passing on? It's our legacy. It's the things that we're teaching the next generation of people who are going to lead behind us. See, the greatest investment we can make is not in buildings. It's not in portfolios. It's not in building wealth. It's in building other people. That's the greatest investment we can make is in building up the lives of others. So who in your life knows what you know? Who are you teaching what you've learned? Who knows in your family? Do your kids know about your relationship with God? Do they see you living it out? Do they see you praying? Are you teaching them to pray? Are you teaching them what scriptures mean? Are you, who in your life knows what you know? David was trying to teach his son to live a legacy, to have a heart after God. Psalms 112, he said, Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. That's a place right there that some of us are... We can find delight in the Lord's commands. It says though their children, the people who fear the Lord, who delight in the Lord's commands, their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their house, and their righteousness endures forever. David, uh, David is trying to teach his son the keys right here. Like, fear the Lord. Know him personally. 
Treasure his commands, and then your children will be mighty. I'm trying to teach you a legacy here, my son. Follow after the Lord. Know him personally. Number two, be quick to repent when we fall. Be quick to repent when we fall. David missed it a lot. (laughs) He wasn't perfect, but he was quick to repent when he did. He was quick to repent. Man, sometimes we just let pride creep in. Parents, don't be too prideful to say I'm sorry to your kids. On many occasions, I've had to come to my daughter and be like, Bella, I'm sorry. I missed it. Will you forgive me? Let's not be too prideful to ask forgiveness in those moments. It's teaching them in that moment, like, we're quick to forgive. We're not too prideful. Men, let's not be too prideful to respond to the Spirit of the Lord and to come to the altar and say, God, I need you. Ladies, women, let's not be too prideful to, you know, let our husbands lead, let people in our lives lead. And be like, mm, I know. Like, no, sometimes we just need to make sure we prefer each other above ourselves. Let's not be, let's not miss it in that way. Let's be quick to repent. Don't keep holding things against each other. We need to be quick to forgive. See, what happens when we hold on to things like that, when we just keep things, we're just helping the enemy, our spiritual enemy, the devil, right? We need to be quick to repent when we fall. Number three, we need to live to give for God's glory. In other words, we need to live our lives not for ourselves, not to make ourselves great, but to make God's name great. We don't need to live for ourselves. We need to live for him. David was passing these words on to his son Solomon in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9. He says, Worship and serve the Lord with your whole heart, with a willing mind, for the Lord sees every heart, and he knows every plan and every thought. If you seek him, you'll find him. Oof. That's good right there. If you seek him, you'll find him. Some of you, someone here, you're, you're asking, God, are you real? Are you real? He's saying, if you seek me, you'll find me. God is here today to answer your question. He's real. He's here. He loves you. If you seek him, you'll find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Lord, help us to be those that seek you, God. Man. In other words, we need to just live our lives for the glory of God, not for ourselves. We need to live to give our lives for the glory of God. Because you guys, we can live our lives for anything we choose. It's up to us. We can't live our lives a second time. We only get to live this life once. So be careful what you live for. Be careful what you choose. You only get one shot. So be careful. In our culture, right, it's so popular to be like, ah, I live for this. And I live for this thing. And when people say that, they're talking about what? Sports, hobbies, right? They're, they're talking about recreational things and all the things that we enjoy in this life. Those things are good. I live for this, right? All the while, I'm thinking, how sad. You're giving your life for something? Guys, we, have to, we need to live to give our lives to the kingdom. Those are the only things that are going to last. Everything else of this earth is going to fade away. And make no mistake, we should enjoy this life. We should have the bucket list and all those things, but that's not what life is about. You can't take your bucket list with you. The only things that are going to matter are the things that we do to impact eternity, to build up other people, to push other people towards their calling. Choose wisely the legacy that you leave. Are we leaving a legacy that says run after God, pursue God with all you have? Or are we leaving and living a legacy that just says, hey, whenever you can make it there, that's good. We have to teach, we have to teach how to live. It's by what we say and by what we do. It's more than what we say. It's by the both, the combination of what we say and what we do. I don't know, maybe you didn't grow up with people who just said things and never did them, but... You know, we've got to do both. We've got to say it and do it. What if we just lived for God's glory? 
Number three, number four, I'm sorry. We're going to hold no grudges. Hold no grudges. We repent quickly and then we freely forgive, you guys. We freely forgive, right? Because when we hold on to those things, what happens? What are we doing? We're holding unforgiveness. We're keeping bitterness. And our, our, our spiritual enemy loves it when we do that. Because we're just helping him to pile shame on that other person. We're helping to push them down because they're feeling bad. Oh, I messed up. I did, and they're, they're mad at me. I know they're holding on. We are just helping the, the devil. Yeah, we need to be people who are quick to help connect people to the grace of God. We need to be about that. Be living our lives in such a way we're connecting people to the grace of God and not being an obstruction for somebody to find healing, to find forgiveness. We need to hold no grudges. Be quick to forgive. In, in 2 Samuel chapter 22, we see David writing his last psalm, his last song to the Lord. And it could have been a psalm of, you know, regret. Oh, Saul was chasing me down. I should have taken him out. I could have been the king an extra 10 years. Could have been a song of, you know, lamenting or sorrow. But no, David's song there is a song of thanksgiving. It's a song of praise. He's not holding on to anything. And what will people hear when they hear our song, when they hear our words? Will they hear bitterness and unforgiveness? Will they hear resentfulness? Or will they hear grace and forgiveness and mercy? Will they, will they see us releasing those things? When people harm us, will they see us giving forgiveness freely? We're going to seek to know God. We're going to be quick to repent we're going to live to give. We're going to hold no grudges. Number five, we're going to be full of compassion. Full of compassion. David continues in Psalm 112, verse 4. He said, even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. Come on. Uh, that's good right there. Light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. In other words, David is saying there's something about when we show compassion. Something about compassionate and gracious people that even in the darkest, darkest times, even in the worst times of your life, that when we're compassionate and gracious, the light will break forth in those seasons. It doesn't matter how dark it is, how painful it is, that when we're compassionate, light breaks forth into those situations. I'm preaching about 67% better than y'all are amen in this morning. I need some help in the house. Holler back at your boy this morning. I love you guys, too. I do. I love you guys. Come on. We are going to be people of compassion. See, we have to understand what compassion is because compassion gets mixed up with pity too often. Pity is when we feel bad. Oh, so bad for them. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Sometimes guilt even comes in in those situations. But that's pity. Compassion, godly compassion always moves us to action. That's how you can tell. Godly compassion moves us to action. So we need to get off the sidelines. Some of us need to get out of the seats and have some compassion. Y'all, we live in a city of almost two and a half million. 65% say, I don't need to be in church. I don't need God. Man, those are people Jesus died for. They were us. We just happened to find this place. We just happened to find him. We need compassion for our city, compassion for the lost, compassion that leads us to action. That's why we say we serve with compassion. We are the church. We don't exist for us. It's good that we have this, but that's not why we exist. We exist for them. We need compassion for our city, compassion for the lost. Number six, how do we live a legacy? We need to surround ourselves with godly relationships. And the last 
portion in this chapter of David's life. We see him reminiscing about all the people who were there with him throughout his life, all the people who were his running mates, the people that had his back, who were fighting with him. They were called David's mighty men. He's recounting all the things that they did. It's amazing. And you're like, why is David talking about this? Because he's trying to teach his son Solomon, hey, the people that surround you are important. It's important the people that are around you because your crew determines your view. Your crew determines your view. That means that if your crew is this people who are always complaining and grumbling and can never find anything else to say, then when you see some situation, well, I guess this is just how it's going to be. I guess I'm just never going to get that break. But you can surround yourself with some people who are thankful and grateful and begin to see what God is doing. And before long, you're going to be, your crew determines your view. You're going to see opportunities. You're going to see the hand of the Lord moving in your life. You can surround yourself with people who just don't want to serve. I, that just pastor just wants us to do stuff in the no, no, no. I don't need you to do stuff in this church, right? The church is going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to prosper. It's just better with you with you involved. Light's going to break forth. Man, it's more for you. It's not for me. It's already working in my life. Man, we need people in our life who are going to encourage us. Our crew determines your view. Man, that's why we need to teach our kids. You need to teach your kids about the relationships they have, the friendship. Teach them what a godly relationship is like. Don't just let them have whatever friends come their way. Okay, that's not the kind of friend we have because that's going to lead you the wrong direction. Proverbs 13 verse 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. It matters so much. Your crew determines your view. Number seven, pour all you have and know into others. Pour all you have and know into others. See, your legacy starts today. It doesn't start when you die. It doesn't start on your deathbed. Our legacy starts today. We have to live our legacy now. Who knows what you know? Who have you taught your trade? Who knows what you've learned, what the Holy Spirit has shown you? Who are you pouring yourself into? Or is everything just going to stop when you go on? Pour yourself into others. Bring somebody along you on your journey. Take somebody with you. Develop them. Teach them. Coach them. That's what I love about coaches when you watch college football. You know, Nick Saban, he's not my favorite coach, but he's a great coach. Say what you want. Love Alabama. Hate Alabama. Like, he's a great coach. And every, I, I remember this one game I was watching, and this, this punter made a bad punt. Like, he just did something. Bonehead football play. Nick Saban, he's not a player. He can't get out on the field and make the play. But he's the coach. After the play was over, he runs out there. He grabs the guy by the face mask and he's coaching him up. He's like, no, we don't do that. We do this. We need to pour ourselves and what we have into others. Y'all, we're supposed to be coaches. Be a mentor to somebody. Take somebody to lunch. Pay for their lunch and begin to pour your heart into them. Teach them what they know. We need, we need each other. We need each other. We need all generations. We need the young. We need the old. We need the young at heart and those that have the old souls. We need everybody. We are all in this thing together. We can't complete this race without each other. So can I just speak to the older generation for a moment? Listen, this young generation, they need you. They need what you have. They need what you have. They need you to come alongside them to encourage them, to speak life to them because the world is telling them their generation that's lost. They're telling them that their generation that's lazy and is no good. They need you to rise up to be an example in their life and say, hey, you can do it. You have what it takes. They need you. Young people, listen to me. Listen to me. You need people that have gone on ahead of you. 
So put down your pride. Put down all the things that you think you know. I know it's a generation that every time you try to tell them something, I know, I know. No, listen, put those things down. Get somebody who's further down the road than you. You take them to lunch. You buy their lunch. Bring three questions. Ask questions and then do this. Take some notes. Use that notes app. Use Evernote. Whatever you got, use it. We need each other, you guys. We are a church of leaders. We are a church of leaders. And we'll be known as a church of leaders, but it's going to take all of us raising up, imparting into each other, imparting into this next generation. Somebody who will be willing to get up and be like, I feel uncomfortable in a room of kids, but I'm going to impart into this next generation. I'm going to be a leader to them. That's the kind of church we're going to be. We're going to raise up this next generation, and we're not going to sit back and relax once I pass the baton. Number eight, give it all you've got. Give it all you've got. Too many times I hear people saying, well, if I, if, I really, if I give away my leadership, if I pass things on, what am I going to do? Listen, that's just this wrong view of leadership. Leadership isn't about what you can do. Leadership is about who you're raising up, who you're building up, who's going to run after you, right? Give it all you've got. Be a mentor. Pour into somebody. Don't sit on the sidelines another minute. Give it all you've got. We've got one shot in this life. Make it your best. So if God has put a book inside of you, write it. If God has put a business idea, and I believe that he will in those moments as we, that's one of the ways, that's the blessing of God. Those moments when we're giving and God drops an idea in your spirit. Man, that's the blessing of the Lord. Start that business. If God has put a calling on your life, you feel called to an area of ministry, don't wait for the perfect opportunities to align. Get started now. Give it all you got. Don't wait. Don't, because there's never those moments where you're like, I'm just waiting for God to just align every perfect thing so that I, like, no, 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 no. If he wanted you to wait, he wouldn't have called you now. He's called you. Don't wait. Give it all you've got. There's a true story of a man named Alfred and One day he picks up the newspaper and he's reading and he sees something strange in the obituary section. It's his name and his picture. It's like, wait a minute! Ah! (laughs) That'd be freaky, right? What had happened was his brother had died, but they had mixed up and wrote about him instead. And they had wrote about how he was known. He was known as the merchant of death because he had invented dynamite. And in his time, dynamite had killed more than anything else. He's sitting there in this moment and all the feelings, I'm going to sue them, all these things, I'm going to get back at them. How dare they? Like, but in that moment, he decided, I need, I need to change my legacy. I don't want to be known as the merchant of death. So this man, he didn't know he only had 10 years left, but he began taking all the money he had earned from selling dynamite. And he began creating a, a prize and he attached his last name to it so that every year he could give a prize to somebody who brought peace to the world. And even today, after he died, after a few years, people today have taken the Nobel Peace Prize and latched onto it. And every year, somebody who brings peace to our world is given this prize. He wrote this statement to put on his tombstone. Every man ought to have the ability to correct his obituary in midstream and write a new one. I don't know what legacy was handed off to you. Maybe it was a baton that was dropped. No one was there for you. Maybe it was a legacy of addiction, legacy of divorce. I don't know. You can't control the legacy you're given, but you can control the legacy that you leave.
the legacy that you live. David, he didn't receive a good legacy from his father, right? His father shunned him out. And even when the prophet came to anoint the king, don't even bring David in the house. He's an embarrassment to me. I don't even want him around. David didn't receive a good legacy, but he was making sure I'm going to, I'm going to leave. I'm going to pass the baton forward. I'm going to live a legacy that my sons and my grandchildren can run with. See, we, it doesn't matter what happens to us. Life is only 10% what happens to you. It's 90% how you respond to it. So things are going to come, but how are you going to respond to it? Give it all you've got. Write a new one. If you've been, your family legacy, you've been given a legacy that's not, write a new one. It starts today. It starts with you. It starts today. Write a new one. Start over. Write it new. God wants to do something new. As I was praying about this today, I feel like I wanted to read this last scripture to you, but in a prophetic way, it's, it's the voice of the Lord speaking. So can we do this just right in this moment? Just right where you are. Would you just you know, close your Bible or whatever, just real quickly, just bow your heads and as I read the scripture today, don't hear me speaking it. This is the voice of the Lord, the word of the Lord to us today. From Isaiah 43, he said, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing something new in you. It's going to start now. It's springing up. Can you see it? Can you perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. It's our time. It's our time. It's time to go all in. God is doing something new in your lives. It doesn't matter the past, what's happened before. God wants to start new today. He wants to make old things new. He wants to bring those dead things and give them life. God is doing something new in our lives. So I just want to pray together all across this room. You're saying, that's me. I need to, today, I'm going to live a new legacy. I, maybe I've been living a certain way, but today is the day I'm going to start new. I'm going to begin to live a legacy. Maybe you just, you've been holding on to things. You've been holding on to those grudges, that unforgiveness. And today is the day to say, I'm going to begin to live a legacy that releases grudges, that walks in forgiveness. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you're that person and you've been known as that hard-hearted person. You've been known as that cold person who doesn't care about others. But today... God is saying, I'm taking out that cold heart. I'm giving you a heart of compassion. Today you're saying, I'm going to start new. I'm going to make a new legacy today that's full of compassion. Whatever it is for you, you're saying, that's me today. Just all across this room, just lift your hands today. I want to pray with you. Thank you, hands right here all over this morning. Thank you. Thank you right there. Thank you right here. Lord, I thank you for your spirit that's moving all across this place today. That Lord, I thank you that just because we messed up, just because we've been in one place that it's not over yet, that we can start new. So I thank you, Lord God, that you are the God of new beginnings, that you are the God that takes old and exchanges it for brand new. So I thank you, Lord, that even right now, inside of hearts, that you're making things brand new, that you're taking out the cold, dead, lifeless things, and you're putting life inside. You're putting compassion and hope inside. Lord, I pray right now for those that have been struggling with bitterness, even hatred. Somebody here, you've been struggling with hatred for someone in your family, someone who did something to you, and you've been so angry at them. This is the moment God is calling to you. He says, it's time. It's time to let it go. It's time to forgive. Forgive. And right in this moment is your opportunity. See, we have the opportunity in moments where we can respond to the Spirit of God, where we can seek Him and find Him. We can find healing, but we can reject Him. 
Find him in this moment. Lord, I thank you. Holy Spirit, I thank you for revealing those things in our hearts 